So Brad, I have kind of an amazing story from this weekend to share with you uh, regarding parenting choices. Uh, you ready for this one? <laughs> My favorite topic, yes. Yeah, here, here we go. So have you ever had this as a dad where you have some sort of family activity where you're just like, the kids love it, so I'll do it. I don't want to do this. I have no desire to do this, but yes, okay, here we go. You, you, you're, you're smiling through gritted teeth the entire time. Yeah, yes, you're I'm trying, familiar. You, you are doing your your uh, most blessedness, trying to be like, oh, we're having a lot of fun, aren't we, gang? <laughs> I don't want to be doing this. Like, for example, the other day we went on a Ferris wheel uh, down at the Santa Monica Pier. I hate Ferris wheels. I hate heights. So everyone's like, Daddy, why do you have a thousand-yard stare in your face? It's like, well, that's because Daddy's palms are sweating because he's terrified of heights. Daddy has a fight-or-flight response and is actively trying not to uh, go comatose on this ride. Anyway, so this past weekend, uh, we go to this thing. A cousin invited us for a whole big family fun adventure to a thing called Great Wolf Lodge. Have you ever heard of this, Brad? I've never heard of Great Wolf Lodge, no. Okay, so... It is apparently a whole chain of them. I have never heard of them before this weekend. A whole chain of indoor water parks across the U.S. and Canada. Oh, God. Okay, I'm with you. And so, (laughs) yeah. The whole time, I the the whole time I'm saying to my wife, and actually she to me, she's like, we're like, I don't want to do this. This is gonna feel slimy. Everything's gonna be wet. It's all oh, gonna yeah. be like, it's just, it's, it's gonna be a thousand human naked bodies touching things. I don't want to be in this. And uh, we get down there, and sure enough, it is a cathedral built to E. coli, Brad. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. First of all, I do have to say the engineering in this place was amazing. Yeah. Think of like a, a hangar built to build a 737 or a 747, like a gigantic, like the biggest kind of indoor space that a human being can build with a yes. one continuous roof line, right? So it's gigantic steel beams that that are just massive. And the it, the inside of this thing is like seven stories, maybe eight stories high, right? But it's all one continuous roof. It's gigantic. And inside there is like a, a multi-story tower that you can go down slides. There's a giant wave pool. Um, there's uh, inner tube slides that you can go down with the whole family, like all four of you in, some, in a gigantic tube. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a, a wave rider where it, ma- it makes fake waves so you can surf or body surf or, or boogie board. Um, all that sort of stuff, right? All that you would expect. But like, I'm like, all right, kids, well, let's go. Even though we live literally two steps from the Pacific Ocean, let's go into this wave pool. So we walk over to the wave pool. Nope, nope. Some kids pooped in it. All right, that's oh, shut down. Oh, no, jeez. And we're like, all right, well, let's go over to Splash Town or whatever it's called. And it's like, oh, all right, that'll be fun. It's got a lot. Of, nope, nope. Some kid pooped in that. That's closed. So (laughs) all my worst fears were affirmed by like, nope, everybody's pooping everywhere in here and we're all sharing this water. How delightful. And then Dave goes to the men's room completely empty. Yeah, just and clean as a whistle. No one's used it. No one's used it for years. They're like, no, I'll just pee in this pond. This is fine. Yeah. This is oh, fine. Oh God, that's it's water. It's it's, it's, yeah, the it's same water. Thing. This, this it's feels the same fine. Idea. There's so much chlorine. It's not going to hurt anybody. Right? Yeah. To to the to whatever engineer's credit is, this place, the engineering, brilliant. Yeah. Like yeah. the industrial fans that keep the air moving. The the use of industrial chlorines that are not overwhelming but are still cleaning the hell out of that water. Great, amazing. Uh, the pumps that were involved to move this much water at this place was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and the engineering in terms of designing slides, all that amazing. But I want to ask you this, though, as a Bra- Brad, as an artist, as a fellow artist, do you ever notice a project, like a family-oriented project, where clearly the engineers were in charge and they did not involve artists? 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it was all about the building and nothing about the grace. Yeah, and so this is kind of my beef also with Six Flags Magic Mountain or Six Flags, you know, the Six Flags parks around the U.S., is that clearly the engineers take the lead and there's no artists involved, whereas Disney, with their Imagineers, they oh, are yeah. so amazing about, like, no— it's going to be a holistic field. The engineering is going to work with the art, and the art is going to work with the with the marketing, and the marketing is going to work with the groundskeeping, and it's all going to create a holistic feel, right? Yeah. Whereas this place, it would be like these amazing, huge steel I-beams, right, that are fantastic to look at, but then it's like, oh, but we slapped a coat of fun blue on it, so now it's for kids, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's still got all the sharp, pointy corners. It's yeah. still got all of that stuff. And it's still at the heart of it, a steel beam, but it's got a really nice coat of paint on it. Yeah, there's no whimsy to it. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no, and, and the whimsy that was done was clearly hired out by, like, uh, whatever uh, affordable art team they could hire in India or South Korea or something, you know, where it's like, <laughs> it's it's okay. It's kind of okay, but it's not like, it's not Disney level. It's like right. Walmart designed a theme park. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and 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 the it went to the lowest bidder, and uh, that's and exactly that's what you've it. Yeah, got. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and more more importantly than lowest bidder, you could just tell that the whatever lead engineer was in charge, like, I mean, I guess we got to sugarcoat this a little bit. How about we put a bear over here? Here's a bear. <laughs> we need. <He's> just, <laughs> it's we a water park with a bear. There. Yeah. yeah. What do you want? What do you want out of us? Look, we designed this amazing water park. Uh, we're engineers. Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's paint it blue. There we go. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. They they've they've gotten to the, the. It's the part of the project that they were interested in and now right. the rest of it is is the boringest thing in the world and it's just like uh, just fine just put something over there let me get back to building my next indoor e coli museum <laughs> cathedral bread to cathedral, e. coli. That's cathedral what... yes <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the spend budget was all right 80 million dollars on engineering half million dollars on art <laughs> not even that 80 million dollars on engineering uh, and, and a 50 dollar gift certificate to sherman williams <laughs> there was also there at one point when you're walking in there's animatronics and oh, there's really? nothing as a as a dad there's nothing worse than sad animatronics oh you know yeah. what i mean yeah, where the, the lips the lips don't not only is there no articulation <laughs> in the lips but it's basically just one servo motor lifting a mouth every once in a while <laughs> and like there's no syncing up between audio and movement yeah, so, it's it's the showbiz pizza kind of animatronics. Oh my god, Brad! It's exactly showbiz pizza. <laughs> Holy shit! They just repurposed the gorilla on the keyboards and they turned him into the bear at the water park. <laughs> yeah, I gave him a bathing suit and let him go. <laughs> just smear a little E. coli on him and we're off to the races. <laughs> Uh, but that being said, so I did actually have fun. Like I, oh, really? the, for about an hour or two on the water slides themselves, I was yeah. giggling like a fiend. There is a unique really? joy to a water slide that's really well designed. And it was, the water slides were amazing. Uh, I just feel bad that human nature being what it is, you can't go into a major body of water that's filled with a hundred small kids because yeah. one of them is actively pooping as you're, as you're in that water, you know, one of them, you've got dozens of them pooping at any one time <laughs> across that hangar. Uh, now my question is, did they have the deals where you 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 slide through the tubes like they've got water tubes that you slide through? Yeah, the majority of them were I don't want to say the majority of them. Half of them were water tubes and the other ones were uh, water half tubes, I guess is another way of saying it. You know, yeah, I mean? the, uh... yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, the, the water tubes make me super nervous. Oh, really? Because it seems like it would be really easy for somebody to get clogged in there and to have somebody come out, somebody else come barreling right down after them and, and cause like a massive 
Uh, it's like clogging a drain, you know? While, while I understand that anxiety, that's the fear that Andre the Giant is in front of you in line. Like, <laughs> yes, or, or worse yet, Andre the Giant is in front of you and King Kong Bundy is behind you. <laughs> King Kong Bundy! What a reference! Uh, yeah. George, George the Animal Steel coming yes, up third on that yeah. one. Uh, and you're just in the middle getting yeah, pancaked. Like, Hi, I'm Brad Gardner with my other two. Do, 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 do. Oh, no, I'm stuck behind Andre the Giant! Oh, no! Oh, here comes, here comes the George the Animal Steel. Yeah. No, they, uh, so it is perhaps the sad truth of Americana that before you get on the family inner tube, which is probably 10 feet a wide uh, tube, yeah. you have to collectively stand on a giant industrial scale. Oh, to really? Make sure, yeah, to make oh, sure that great. you don't get their tolerances. And there was one family that was like, oh, we're fine. And they stepped on the scale and they're like, we got to split you up. It's funny how like the little lies you tell yourself like, no, we don't weigh that. Oh God, we do weigh that much. All right. (laughs) Yeah. This is going to be just fine. Don't worry about it. We don't even hardly need the scale. Don't worry about it. And and, and you get on it and you just hear a wooga, a (laughs) wooga. But as my wife was saying, if there's ever a time where you don't want to test the tolerances of something, it's when you're 400 feet in the air in a giant PVC tube, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that's that, that, that's the time when you take the easy way out and say, you know what, I'm not going to go up there. I, it's yeah, probably yeah, best not to test this. Or you just go, you know what, this. my ego can take the hit. I'll go down this tube by myself. The rest of the family can go by themselves over there. That's fine. My ego can take the hit. My my spine, maybe not so much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, on that note, my friends, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc. And I'm his friend Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave! Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. Uh, so we've got a bunch of topics uh, to dive right into this week yeah. submitted from uh, Patreon backers. So I'm going to throw the first one out to you, my friend, from Andrew Fraser, and uh, Or maybe it's Fraser. There's no I in there. So Andrew Fraser. Andrew, I'm sorry if I'm getting your name wrong. Andrew, either Fraser or Fraser. I think it's Fraser. All right. So, hey, guys, while rearranging my studio space and doing some long overdue cleaning, I was listening to a TED Talk about creative disruption. The idea was that you can jumpstart creativity by drastically upheaving your work environment. I already know that every now and again, I need to rearrange furniture to keep myself from knocking people's hats off. Do either of you reshuffle the deck chairs to keep from sinking into the murky depths of the creative abyss? Brad, this is a great question with Uh, a lot of wrinkles into it. What do you think, Brad? Is it worth upheaving your uh, studio every once in a while, moving things around, shuffling where you hang art or what art is hanging, moving the desk closer or farther from a window, aiming yourself in a different part of the room? What do you think, Brad? Thoughts? No. Listen, here's the deal. (laughs) Out of all the things to to take your time up with, cleaning your studio every now and again is a good idea. Uh, But but there's so much about this for the most part that I just think is impractical. Like, in in other words, I don't doubt that if you rearrange your studio, maybe you feel a little bit more creative or something, or, or maybe you think you do. Uh, I, I I don't doubt that that's either true or there's a placebo thing. Uh, it, I, but he, I'm looking around at my studio, and everything is where it is because that's where it needs to be. I've I've 
planned it out. I designed it. Uh, and, and I'm just thinking about, okay, what if I move this, uh, the book, the bookshelf over here and I move the desk over there. Well, if I move the desk over there and now it's not near the connection for the cable internet, now I got to figure out how to run the cable and the internet over there. And then I've got this open space over here. That's, uh, that's going to be awkward because nothing else fits it. I, it, it, everything is in its place right now. I know where to find everything. The, the very idea of changing it makes me angry. <laughs> it's making, it, it's giving me the shakes. It's like, don't, don't change everything. I got it the way I want it. The only place I'm willing to go with you is that I do enjoy uh, it, it, even now more than ever in the last uh, couple of years, I enjoy uh, collecting original art and receiving original art from people. I've gotten some originals from some people over the last uh, couple of years, and uh, I, and I like now being able to frame that and hang that on the wall, and that gives me uh, a very happy sense. But uh, but but moving things around uh, now that I just got them where they are, they're either. They're either where they are because they're supposed to be there or because they have to be there. <laughs> and you can stop laughing right now, mister. No, I, listen, <laughs> Go I, ahead. I, Go ahead. Well, the, what's funny about this is, okay, so first of all, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I find it delightful the way you're pitching this. Like, everything is in its place and it needs to be in that place. And I don't understand, mother, why we need to move this. My pencils are all lined up and I don't, don't know what touch my things. My things are where they need to be. And if I were to move that printer, I'd have to move 2.4 more inches to get, grab that piece of paper when it prints out. And that's just intolerable to a Brad Geiger. <laughs> you're not wrong. Everything you just said is exactly... Exactly how I feel. <laughs> it's not, I mean, I know you think you're exaggerating, but you're not. That's exactly what's going on inside my head. No, I mean, listen. Okay, so let's talk about how I agree with you. I do agree with you that uh, once you professionalize your workspace, and by that I mean, like, you get all your ducks in a row. The printer is here because of X, Y, and Z. The desk face this way because the light falls across my pa my paper this way, so that's why I do that. Uh, right. The the art is hung this way because I need to refer to my calendar over here, right? And so all that is professionalizing your space so that there's efficiency, so that there's uh, things can move smoothly. I get that, all right? It's yeah. like it's like when you organize your kitchen drawers that you're not constantly having to walk across the kitchen to get the knives. They're right by the dishwasher, you know, right. that, whatever it is. Exactly. That, that kind of thing. So, um, uh, so yes, I agree with you. But I think taking a slightly different tack on this question, I, at some points in my career... Um, for example, when I moved house about, I guess it's a little over a year now, I set up an entirely new studio for the first time in five years, six years, right? Mm -hmm. And for the most part, my studio had been in a fixed setting, fixed setup, rather, um, at, at the old place. So it's been five years since I had a drastic change. And I did notice, actually, uh, and I don't know whether the phrase would be an uptick in creativity or just an uptick in happiness as I walked into the space mm -hmm. because it felt different, right? Yeah, but that might—that's a different equation, I think, than creativity. That's just like, oh, I'm living in a new home, and I've got a new studio, and oh, doesn't the art look different when it's hung up in this space versus the other space? And oh, my desk really works well in here, and oh, I yeah. love the morning light in here. Whatever yeah. that feeling oh, is. Yeah, the morning light is nice in your studio. I did notice oh. that while I stayed oh, well, there. Thank you. Oh, what a moment of sweetness. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, but. I also do know this, that on occasions when I go out to a coffee shop, sometimes changing my location jars 
completely different lines of thought. Yes. So I get where this question is coming from. Yes. But at the same time, I've also had it where if I'm forced to change up my studio or forced because I like say a lot of stuff had to temporarily be stored in my studio or someone was staying at my house too long and drinking all my whiskey, say, (laughs) um, Let's say, let's say, uh, let's you say do for all, argument's sake, uh, for argument's sake, yes. And who was that person was not petting my dog, and I was making me upset. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no. Let's say, let's say uh, that I had a disruption in my studio. I've equally yeah. had it where I just go, I just want to work in my space the way I know it should be worked in. You know right. that kind of thing. Right. So I, I actually agree with Brad that. Um, I prefer a professional space where things are where they are and it's that because there's a reason. Yeah. Uh, And when I do find myself needing to change up my creative uh, mental space, I find it's frankly easier logistically to just get up and go somewhere or read something different or watch something new Mm -hmm. than it is to be like, hey, Brad, help me move this desk to the other side of the room. You know, exactly, exactly. And then and here's the problem with that is is that as you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, as it were, as you're rearranging your studio, uh, stuff like that, if you're really going to do it right, that's going to be a couple hours work. I mean, to, because now you've got it. You're, you've got wires that you've got to rerun. You've got all kinds of stuff that you've got to rejuggle, uh, and you you kind of turn into a, a situation where you're putting way more time into this uh, redesigning your studio than than you thought you would. And while you're doing all that, I'm in my studio that looks about the same as it did when I opened up the doors a couple of years ago, and I'm getting comics done. You know, I don't like this idea of spending time on things that uh, is wasted time. I don't like wasted time. And so if I'm in a situation where I'm I'm not feeling creative, I'm going to be much more apt to do like like what Dave said, go to a coffee shop, change my scenery than I am to start rearranging desks and furnitures. What don't you agree? No, I do agree. I, yeah. In fact, the longer we talk about this, the more I realize that the reason why I never changed my studio for five years in the old place is because it's a tremendous waste of time. Yes. Like I, I would rather make another Sheldon book or or get to work on <laughs> on another yes. project than than it, than be like I'm gonna move this desk. And you made one passing comment, Brad, that I just want to just want to note because yeah. it's so true about modern life. If you move one piece of key electronics in your office, uh-huh. the the trouble is not moving the physical electronics. The trouble is redoing the wires, which takes a half an hour mm-hmm. to feed them up the back of a bookshelf or get them through whatever little hole you've drilled through the, the back of a, a piece of wood or, you know, f- feeding them underneath a heavy object or around a heavy object. That part takes a half an hour. The, moving the object, the, the electronics, takes five seconds. And then the wires are another half an hour on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, I got things the way I want it. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Brad yeah, Geiger story. The <laughs> I like I like that as idea. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I finally got things the way I want them. Not just 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 deal with it. Well, now, speaking of people saying, leave me alone, uh, I've got a question, Brad, for us about (laughs) our fathers in light of Father's Day. (laughs) And uh, how was that for transition? Yeah, that's a a good one. That's a good one. All right. So, Brad, this comes into, uh, so again, this was for Father's Day, and this comes in from Curious Borg, and it says, uh, greetings, dog-loving Brad Geiger and turtle-touching Dave Kellett. All right, well, that's, I feel like we could say it better than turtle-touching. That that feels like. That does sound like there's more of a story behind that than there actually is. <laughs> yeah, that feels like I'm no longer allowed into the state of Alabama. That's what that feels like. Uh, 
Anyway, all right. So here's the question. With Father's Day upon us, could each of you share a moment or memory that embodies your dad's unique sense of humor and share how their influence came across in your work? The first, the first jokes most of us hear as children are dad jokes, and Brad at least is lucky if he can go 15 minutes without telling one of those. Uh, <laughs> Dave, I don't know, might have been raised by a very quiet family of Amish craftsmen, who he knew, ah. who insisted that you never compliment their work or they would flee in embarrassment. Tell us a little about your dads and how they helped you gain a healthy sense of humor. Thanks and happy Father's Days, guys. All right, well, that's great. That's great. Uh, Brad, actually, I have a quick question for you. This yeah. is a side note. Yeah. You grew up in semi-Amish country, right? In the uh, northern part of... You know what? I th- th- There were no Amish that I was aware of in Michigan, in the part of Michigan, in the thumb of Michigan, as I was growing up. I didn't really know about the con- uh, the concept of Amish until I was much older. Oh. I mean, they were there. And, and, let, me, let me put it to you differently. They were there. In fact, I found out later uh, that my grandmother on my mom's side hated the Amish, had some kind of a feud going on with them. But it wasn't something that I uh, that, that I dealt with uh, growing up at, uh, on a regular basis. It was later on, you, I, you got a little bit further out in Huron County, and then you started to find out about the Amish and stuff. But it wasn't a real part of my childhood, no. Wow, that I the, what a weird people to hate. That's that. Oh, <laughs> so that there was a feud. Yeah, you so know I'm, who I you know who I hate are the people that keep to themselves and are quiet. And uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm living in Ohio, uh, and and my, and Carolyn and I are just dating, and I'm trying to find some re, some some ex, some reason, some excuse to entice my parents to come and visit because they really don't like leaving here in county. It, 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 I, I think I've told you before, when, after we moved to Philadelphia, they visited us in Philly three times. Once when we got the house, once when Carolyn was pregnant with Alex, and once when Carolyn was pregnant with Max. And I got a vasectomy, so we're going to get no more visits. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> but, but but they don't like living in, or they don't like leaving here in county, and uh, and and especially you know now that they're older, they really don't like traveling long distances. But this was when we were living in Ohio. Carolyn and I was like, Let, let's find maybe they would like to bring Grandma down. And 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 have her visit. It would we we could tell them that would be a great reason for a visit. And I said to my mom, you could bring grandma, who would be obviously obviously uh, her mom. I said you could bring grandma, and we could go visit the Amish. And my mom just paused and said, "Oh, Brad, your grandmother hates the Amish." <laughs> And that's and that's the only explanation I ever no, got. No, Brad, that's you the only I listen, explanation listen. I ever got. Before people pass, you have to figure out what that's about. That's so weird. I've literally never heard of somebody like, oh, I can't stand the Amish. Oh, boy. She, uh, but, uh, and, and it was like that tone of voice that, was, that had a finality to it. It was like, oh, no, she hates the Amish, and that's all we're going to say. I, I do have to ask her now that time is gone and, and uh, uh, enough water has gone under the bridge, maybe. I'll have to ask her what that backstory was. I mean, but- was somebody in her family killed by a beautifully built chair or something? <laughs> No, I, I maybe they were run over by a buggy. I, I oh, and I passed up my my great chance of of using a, my first dad joke of the show by saying that the Amish drive her buggy. But uh, I, the, uh, the- <laughs> Jeez. ten minutes later, well, you still got it in. All right. 
<laughs> but uh, but no, I, I, I'm going to have to go back and ask because it, it does sound like there's a good story there. But uh, well, the, the, the key joke to make here, and this yeah. is always true with anything electronic, is going, well, great job, Brad. Now you've scared away all of our Amish listeners. Good job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But uh, <laughs> but no, I uh, so no, no Amish uh, uh, in my background. But I will tell you a little bit about my dad, because this is this is a great topic for me. I There's so much of uh, my dad that that comes through in what I do. It's first of all, so anybody that listens to the podcast and they make a remark about the podcast, specifically me, uh, what's the first thing they say, Dave, about me in regards to the podcast? They like hearing. Oh, they always say the first thing, whether we see him in person or whether the email and they're always like Brad Geiger, he hates the Amish. That's the first thing they say. (laughs) Son of a gun. No, they they always say your laugh. (laughs) They're always like, oh, your laugh lights up my day. Oh, I love your laugh. Oh, your laugh makes my smile turn upside down or frown turn upside down. Uh, My laugh is one tenth of my dad's laugh. My, oh, really? That's adorable. Has, Is that true? Oh, yes. Yeah. He's got such a distinctive, amazing, he's got a well-crafted laugh <laughs> that I have no idea where it came from. It sounds a little, you remember, you remember how Barney Rubble used to laugh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my dad, uh, 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 to, to a small, but dad is maybe exponentially three or four times that. He's got can this. I, Brad, can I give go you an ahead. assignment for Christmas? Yeah. When you go home for Christmas, you've got to record <laughs> him. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, yeah, that's, I might have to do that. Uh, and we're going up there in July. So I'll see if I can uh, uh, serendipitously get a good recording. Uh, God, you know, it's kind of a morbid thought, but it would be lovely to have our parents' laughter recorded. Both uh, yeah. Of us. Yeah. That's not that's a bad a, idea. I don't, I don't know why I've never thought about that. That's kind of that would be kind of a sweet thing to have someone because what a wonderful way to remember somebody is by their laugh. You yeah, because it's so and it's always the warmest moments. So I remember before we moved into the house, we we moved uh, from a small house to a big house exactly once uh, in our lifetimes, right? But I remember it, it when and so uh, this would have been when I was maybe eight years old. Uh, oh God, maybe even uh, younger than that. We were in the small house. We were watching ABC's Wonderful World of Disney. Remember when that would come on and it would, you know, Tinkerbell would come up and it was in full color, right? She, yep. Yep. And there was a cartoon where these bears were picking up trash, and and they were picking up trash and then doing this, uh, you know, like 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 where they bump with their hips to each other, right? Uh, and the and the park ranger was whistling, and there was a whole song that went along with it. And my dad started laughing and he got into this laughing fit. I swear to God, the windows started rattling because he was laughing so hard. He, he was just like out of, out of control, laughing at these fucking bears. It's one of my earliest and one of my absolute warmest memories of my father is him literally rolling on the ground uh, watching these bears on on Disney uh, pick up trash. It's 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 one of those things that's indelible. You know, one of your very very right. youngest memories. Right. Uh, so the first thing I got to say is his laugh, and the second thing is all through growing up he was a coach. So he was he coached softball. They had back in the day they had like adult softball leagues that in Huron County were quite serious and quite competitive, and, and it was a big deal. And he 
coach softball. And that really was our summer, was traveling with dad to the different tournaments, either in local uh, towns or out of, uh, you know, uh, out into the state. Uh, at going to tournaments, uh, traveling for softball, and watching him coach. And then, of course, he coached baseball teams that me and my brothers were on. Later on, he coached bowling. Uh, he, he was just named the coach of the year by the Detroit Free Press uh, for his division in bowling. And he's, he's always been a coach. And I would watch him at key moments during an LA, specifically uh, a softball. I would watch him when his team was down by a couple of runs and he would gather the players in, in a circle and, and he would deliver some of the most amazing, like, like heart pounding speeches to rally his troops, to get them to go out there and score the runs that needed to be scored. Uh, and I would watch him take a player who was struggling and the way he would talk to that player and the way he would get through to that player and the, the way he would interact uh, and, and, and the way he would praise people who were doing great and the way he would lift people who were struggling, uh, all of that, I just sat and soaked that in year after year after year. So sometimes, uh, uh, like Dave, you'll point out, well, geez, you're doing an awful lot uh, with webcomics.com and the webcomics handbook and we do the show together. And, and, and you note that I do an awful lot of outreach. Some of that is just in my DNA because yeah, that's yeah. one way. Cause, cause listen, I could never hit the ball. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I could oh. never, I could never be that. I could never be a coach like he was, but I can, I can be a coach like he was in my own arena. And so that's, it's something that, that I find very, very enriching and, and makes my soul happy when I'm able to do that same kind of thing that I saw him doing, uh, in my own area and, and kind of, uh, uh, mimic that thing that I had such high regard for growing up. Uh, that's in my DNA. And, and that if you, if you, so if, if, if ever, maybe you've said, oh, geez, Brad said something that I really, uh, appreciated. Uh, or, or maybe set it in such a way that it really got my attention. If that's ever happened, it's it. That's John Geiger. That's that's him coming out, uh, and and that's a big reason that I'm doing this right now. It's a big reason I'm talking right that's now. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And and so uh, how also I mean so separate from the the paying it forwardness, what was he like when the like when I don't know ten twelve thirteen year old Brad was drawing? What comments did you get from your pop? Well, that. that's <laughs> wonderful in it, in its own way. He did not get art. He, he, <laughs> he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. He didn't. He, he had no appreciation for it. But he supported it a hundred and ten percent. Like right. uh, like he got right. me. He got me art courses. He made sure that I was able to go to a good school. He he. he he was he was supportive to the nth degree in the same way that I find myself supporting like my, when my son plays Minecraft and I look at it and I'm like, I have no idea even what you're doing. But, you know, good on you. I, I, I know you're building spatial skills and all kinds of other things, uh, but it's so alien to me. And and he he did not 
He did not get it, <laughs> but he supported it 100%, even to the extent that now still, I, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was telling him how I hired an, an assistant and his first words were, you're busy enough that you need an assistant? <laughs> so he, he, has, oh, he has oh boy he's got no idea what i do but he's proud of it nonetheless and he's and he's supportive of it and i guess at the end of the day that's what really counts yeah 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 absolutely i i boy can i relate to the idea that like has no idea what it is but is supportive of it you know yeah that's- yeah is that the way it is between you and your dad well yeah i mean uh, between both my folks i think they are they are uh so I guess to back up a little bit, my dad growing up uh, was inarguably a genius. Like he's he is a medical doctor and has uh, two specialties. So he basically has two doctorates uh, in in two different fields of medicine. And he also raised seven kids. So he's a he was a busy dude growing up wow. and like ostensibly had to be a serious dude because he had to he had to feed seven mouths and he had to take care of med- all, you know, all his patients and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, he was a captain in the Navy, too, all that stuff. But uh, here's what I remember about like he could have been a very serious, stern father with like, uh, oh, I'm a doctor. Blah, 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 and I've got seven kids. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, but here's the thing, though. <laughs> Look out. Here I come. I'm a doctor. But my dad had a joy and a silliness to him oh, wow. that uh, was delightful, like book smart, but world silly, if that makes sense. You know, wow. I like, like that. Phrase. He, he was he was joy filled for lack of a better phrase. Um, he was constantly, and I don't know if you've noticed this about my personality, Brad. He was constantly coming up with songs and with little <laughs> poems. It, it's like the Irish in him. He was constantly coming up with lyrics or limericks and 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 little poems. And he would come up with songs about like his kids, like oh here comes Tom, he's walking along, or you know what? Uh, here comes Pat, he's doing something. Whatever whatever the kid was doing, walking into the room, my dad would have a little limerick or a song for him, and we all. All had nicknames, and uh, I also remember things like he had no idea about pop culture. Like he was, he did love to read serious stuff, but he had no idea about pop culture. So he would walk in on me watching Star Trek: The Next Generation, and there'd be a Klingon on <laughs> on the screen. And of course, to a doctor, he this is how he equates the like he goes, "Hey, look at old sacral bonehead on the old screen there." <laughs> And so that's how, whenever I was watching Star Trek, that's what he would do. He would walk and be like, hey, how are the old sacral bone people? They, uh, they walking oh around, God. they're doing their sacral bone stuff. And, I, and literally, I was like, what the hell is a sacral bone, Dad? I don't know. And he's like, it's at the base of your spine. Those people have a, because he's like, whenever I do a surgery on a spine, that's what it looks like when you open it up. It looks like a Klingon's forehead. I was oh like, oh, my interesting. God, All right. that's amazing. Yeah. And so, well, here's a funny note about him being a surgeon. Yeah. Uh, so all his kids, none of them ended up being a doctor. Right. And right. I was his last hope. And he's like, come on, Davey, you're coming with me to do a surgery today. And I was like, no, I'm not. I don't want to do this. He's like, come on here, scrub in. And like, I was scrubbing in. He's like, I've cleared it with the patient. She's very nice. She, she understands that I want to show you what medicine is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I'm watching a surgery and I get about five seconds into the surgery bed and you just hear, Oh, and I just no. collapse onto the floor. <laughs> I just pass right out. <laughs> I just like, as soon as the scalpel comes out, I'm like, ah, I don't feel so good. <laughs> Flunk. Just flop right on the floor. <laughs> 
So uh, anyway, but my dad was silly. He was goofy. He was joy filled. He was optimistic. Like even though he had seven kids, when there were other kids coming from troubled families, we would take them in and help raise them for like half a year or a year until their family got in better shape. And then we would uh, like they were so generous as a. So I think that's why Sheldon is sort of sweet and optimistic and hopeful is because my dad was sweet and optimistic and hopeful ultimately, you know, and, and tried to make the world a better place. He was always like, uh, to hell with adding darkness to the world, bring joy into the world. You know, yeah, the world is dark enough as it is. And so I always took that as my, my launching point was that point from my, both my parents, which is be well read, learn as much as you can, but then go out and do good in the world and be joy filled while doing it. You know, that's, that's what I got. Yeah. And the beautiful thing there is that just having spent a little time with you, uh, both of your kids have picked that up from you. There's, there's always a song being sung in the Kellett household. There's always a, a, a song, a tune and, and very uh, uh, spontaneously, <laughs> in fact, your kids are quite good at it, <laughs> at, at making verse up as they go along. Uh, so it, it's 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 nice to know that that comes from a deeper place uh, than even the one that I thought it came from. This is a this is a long honored Kellett family tradition. Yeah, it really is that um, that, uh, you know, that Irish storyteller tradition of like, come up with a song, come up with a poem, come up with a tale, whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, so. Um, my six brothers and sisters and I, when we would drive across country every summer to go visit um, my grandparents, those car trips were filled with us making up stories or, and so that's how I became a storyteller, frankly, between my folks and my brothers and sisters. Um, we would always be goofing around and always singing a song or telling a limerick and that kind of thing. It was, it was great. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't know why this popped in my mind, but one of my favorite things about those cross country trips, speaking of my dad is uh, not a man with that really held no evil bones in his body. He's a, he's a kind, kind, kind man. And when we would get to Yellowstone every year or every, you know, every couple of years when we would drive across country, uh, we'd go to Yellowstone and there's different hot springs, right? And different pools and geysers and stuff. And we would always stop at one called the dragon's mouth. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just a very, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a very specific, uh, geyser pool. And my dad would always be standing there by himself after the rest of us were kind of trooping back towards the van. And I'd be like, what are you doing, pop? And he goes, I'm throwing all my hatred for my enemies into this pool. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's kind of beautiful. Like that's, but that was kind of my dad. He is my dad. He's, he's poetic even in, in, uh, in the silly little things that he does, which yeah. is like he was kind of, he was taking that as his meditative moment to cleanse any ill will he had and throw it into this geyser. And I was like, that's cool. That's wow. a cool poetic way to do it. And you never asked who his enemies were? <laughs> they know who they You know what, Brad? It was the Amish. <laughs> but that was a that was a really fun answer or question from a, a curious Borg. So thank you for that, because that was fun for Brad and I to walk down yeah, that. I think that was that, that that made me feel good all over. That's uh, and, and it's, on a it, different day, I would uh, when it's near to Mother's Day, we should do what was it special about our moms that that made us be yes. uh, cartoonists or the kind of people we are, because God, I could talk about my mom too for hours and hours. Yeah. And then we can talk about the Mennonites. <laughs> Brad's like, oh, I've got some opinions on the Shakers. Oh, you're going to hear some thoughts. You're going to hear some thoughts from Brad Geiger. (laughs) Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we'll tell you why you should join us on Patreon. 
Oh, when you do, you'll get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, no worries. You can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five star and a few kind words. That, and along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, let's talk comics. Okay, Brad, so our next question comes in from Blake Winton, and Blake writes, I was at a conference last weekend and saw this talk, and then he links to a YouTube talk, uh, by someone who's making her comics accessible to some people you might not have thought could enjoy them. I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether this is something you could do too. And by the way, the people uh, in reference in the video are either um, blind, sight-challenged, or... Uh, uh, um, mm-hmm. Uh, sight impaired uh, you know there's different there's differing levels of ways of describing that and hopefully i capture that correctly um anyway dave and brad i'd love to hear your thoughts on whether this is something you could do too i feel like even something as simple as adding alt text to the panels you post could convey much of the humor so brad we've had different people over the years um come to us with ideas either phd or or um tech candidates at different schools saying like hey i'm trying to build a web, a, a comics reader for either the sight impaired, the sight challenged, the uh, blind, uh, and I've frankly I've never seen it come to fruition in a real world application. And maybe Brad, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that about every three to four years, I have someone with the best of intentions come to me saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'm trying to design this. Would you help out?" And I'm always like, "Yeah, I can supply comic images for you or whatever you'd like." Um, but, uh, so Brad, here's my question to you then. We'll, we'll, I'll ask Blake's question directly to you. Um, is this something that web comics could do to, uh, for ex- accessibility or what would it involve and, um, how hard or easy could that be for your workflow? Yeah. All that sort well, of stuff. It, it, this falls into a very common category for us, which is really good ideas that come from a place of love and kindness that just, uh, uh, for reasons of simple practicality, uh, uh probably just aren't going to get done. And, 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 and that sounds kind of cruel, but the fact of the matter is, is I've only got so many hours in a day and I've only got so much time I can put into doing the thing that I do, uh, for a living. And, uh, the extra time that I would need to put into this is not going to have a return on investment that is going to be significant enough to make it worth my time to do. And as a result, since I've got to take this business seriously, uh, I've got to say no. Uh, and, and even uh, we talk about all the time, well, if you do this extra thing, uh, you know, once you get it set up, it's just going to take you extra five minutes. Uh, first of all, it's it, it, this specific thing that they're talking about, making it access- accessible to people that have vision impairment, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is, is to do it right. It's going to take a lot more time investment of five minutes, but let's, let's say that it's five minutes. Uh, I get a, I get really nervous when I start, uh, thinking about all of these things that I could do that would just take me five minutes. Because if I take on one thing that just takes me five minutes, I'm going to be tempted to take on something else. that's just going to take five minutes and something else that's going to take five minutes. And before I know it, I've lost an hour doing all these little five minute tasks, right? 
uh, when you're doing uh, yeah. when you're doing comics, uh, and, and specifically when you're doing independent comics, where you may have a day job, or uh, if this is your day job, uh, your time becomes much more uh, important to protect. Uh, in my opinion, uh, when that happens, you've got to decide very carefully uh, how you're going to spend your time. And you've got to make sure that there's a decent return on investment for everything that you do. And as a result, for the most part, except for one thing that I am going to point out in a moment, uh, except for one uh, uh, side thing, everything that almost everything that this person is talking about in that video is a great idea that I can tell you that I specifically am just not going to be able to prioritize enough to spend time on. It's a good idea. It comes from a place of love. I, I think it's fantastic. I just know realistically I can't spend the time on it. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Dave? Well, so that everyone has a reference point, um, the YouTube video in question here from the, the JS conference, uh, the European JS conference, is called Crafting Comics for Literally Everyone by Jessica Jordan. And I believe it's about a half an hour talk. Um, I skimmed it. And if you want to get the basic idea of what this technology is, skim to jump to around the 14-minute point, and you can get yeah. a sense of what Jessica's doing, which is really clever. Uh, it's basically a guided narration through a comic. So like... Panel five, image, waves are crashing over a boat. Um, dialogue, oh no, I'll never see Jim again. Yeah. Mood, dark and heavy. That kind of, so, right, so everything that you would need described to you is described in a kind of voiceover text um, as, as the cursor moves along the comic kind of a thing um, is the basic idea. Yeah. And it's brilliant, right? It's great. But uh, here's the thing, and it's a, it's a point of differentiation, but it's a key one, is that... Um, my grandmother, when she went blind, I subscribed her to all sorts of services, one of which was like a custom uh -huh. radio that would read the local newspaper. Uh, Brad, I don't know if you've ever heard about these, um, but uh, it was great. I would sit with her and we would listen to the newspaper and uh, there would be local readers that would volunteer. Um, and in fact, I signed up, but I never oh, really? got to do it. I signed up to be a reader once uh, to, for that service. Yeah. But what I'm getting at here is that um, it's really hard to ask the local paper to produce that. Yeah. But it it is good when there are second and third parties that say like here is a need here's some technology that we have that we could apply to this with a little bit of foundational money or a little bit of donations and contributions we could do xyz right um and i feel like there's a similar situation here which is if someone were to design the software and make it very easy for cartoonists to use i think you would yeah. find a lot of people using it you know um but it's a big ask for someone who's barely keeping their head above water financially or creatively in terms of time management um, to say like, hey, here's another task that could that could add, you know, one to four hours every week onto your um, onto your projects. So uh, and and brings you nothing, but is is the for the betterment of of humanity. And mm -hmm. there's no argument; it is for the betterment of humanity. But it's a big ask, you know. So I don't know. I don't know what the easy solution here is as far as making comics accessible to either the vision impaired or to the blind. Um, it is something that it's it's it needs to be a technological base that cartoonists can tap into, which they themselves can distribute the workload to and say, hey, hey, 400,000 uh, readers or 4,000 readers, whatever the number is. Um, uh, uh, there's a healthy percentage of us that have uh, blind or vision impaired relatives. Why don't we all break up the 4,000 Sheldons in the archives and we'll all try to add alt text to them, right? But I, Dave Kellett, can't, can't individually sit down and do alt text for 4,000 
there's actually there's 4,500 Sheldons now. Um, there's no way I'm going to go back and do all that, you know? So maybe there is, if a platform allowed for distributed workload, maybe that would help. Uh, it's, it's an interesting problem because it's hard to put the workload on an artist who's doing all they can to keep their own head right. above water creatively and financially, and then give them an, another administrative task, you know? Do you remember back in the early days of web comics, uh, they they did a kind of a, a crowdsourced transcript add-on for web comics? It had a it had. Do you remember it? Yeah, I uh, Ryan North designed it, didn't he? It was Ono Robot. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And 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 I I think probably like you immediately signed up for that. And and there was people that would go through and do the transcriptions and stuff. I, I, did you ever get a sense that anybody actually used it? Uh, no. And in fact, I had a separate transcription in Sheldon uh-huh. in my previous iteration of my website that would then feed into Ono Robot. Um, and I had nothing to do with it. I don't know how to program that. But um, the, the, my programmer, Philip, of my previous website iteration had designed it for goats.com, John Rosenberg's uh, site. And so I used it, too. And here's the problem with a distributed workload, too, is that among the thousand or so Sheldons that got transcribed, which are now lost, um, uh, the, the transcriptions would vary widely in quality and in what they captured. So for some people, it was hugely important to list out all the props that were seen in the comic strip. For another person, it was hugely important to list out all the scenery and what the mood was. For another person, it was hugely important to list out all the poses that the characters were making, right? (laughs) And so, um, like, my transcripts page to page would kind of make no sense because one time it would be, like, hugely important and and heavily leaning on props. The next one was mood. The next one, and so you're like, ah, I just want the text, whatever it is. And even then, with the text, your transcripts would be riddled with typos because this is all an all-volunteer basis, and so um, they'd be riddled with typos. And anyway, so when Philip's server eventually crashed and I lost all those transcripts, I was like, you know what? Go with God. Good riddance, because none of those were any good anyway. Um, Like, they weren't searchable. You would search for stuff, and you'd find it like one-third of the time what you were looking for. Um, And the rest of the stuff, you would get junk search results because it was was either too much data or not the right kind of data. And so anyway, what that process taught me is that it's really hard to capture the right amount of information for capturing what a comic strip is. It's a very unique form of communication, this dance of, of visual and text and alphanumerics. And mm-hmm. um, it's hard to capture that in pure transcript form. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it came down to. I had the, exactly the same experience uh, with that. But I will say, I mentioned uh, earlier, there is one thing that I am thinking about doing that would widen the accessibility of my comics. Uh, but the reason that I'm thinking about doing it is because I see a much better return on investment in terms of my time. And it also uh, circles around to something else that's happening this summer. And that is this, uh, my older son, who's going to be 17 in a few days, uh, he's going to be, he's, he's, uh, very interested in, in film and audio and visual engineering and, uh, and particularly documentary film and stuff like this. And, uh, his, <laughs> his internship that he had, uh, been planning on, uh, which was going to take him overseas, unfortunately fell through. And now we're we're trying to uh, find a few things to keep him busy with around the house, so he's not sitting in front of the PlayStation the entire time. And one thing he was expressing interest in was uh, doing some stuff for me and and some uh, some 
like audiovisual engineering, uh, including some of the things that I do. So if you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, I've been posting like snippets from my live stream where I might break into a tutorial or uh, I, you've been noticing maybe some time-lapse video that I've been putting up on Instagram and, and Twitter. And all of that has been a direct result of my being in Los Angeles a few weeks ago with you and speaking with Jake Parker and Jake saying the, 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 the benefits that he's gotten from building up his YouTube channel and doing stuff like that and, and how he's able to use that to better his career and, and to make things like his Kickstarters and Patreon approaches go over better. So I've been, I've been putting a little bit more steam behind that recently because I do see a good ROI there. And yeah. one of the things that I've been really uh, thinking about doing for a long time that I'm, I'm, I'm circling o- around a number of iterations of is doing a basically an audio book. Yeah, I know we've joked about doing audio books uh, before, but an audio book style reading of uh, my first book uh, of the New Evil Inc. comics uh, that was published under the title Under New Management. Taking and reading that audiobook style and having a panel by panel view uh, on the video portion. So the video would just slide from panel to panel. Uh, the audio would be basically me reading all the different parts in the same way that a, an audiobook narrator reads the entire thing, maybe changing their voice a little bit here and there for different characters, uh, but mating up that audio with the video of uh, uh, going from panel to panel to create a video audio book of the first Evil Inc. Uh, collection. That, because A, I could put that out in a number of different ways on YouTube to generate uh, uh, subscriptions and traction there. It would also as a side benefit, increase the accessibility of Evil Link to people that uh, it may, it maybe have vision problems in that it would be narrated uh, in, in that respect. What do you think about that idea of video audio book uh, of a comic? Yeah, I think it, it works. Uh, it, well, at least it's better than a comic, but... Um... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it adds a certain accessibility to it. It's... Um... It's not quite what this woman in the video was describing in terms of no. complete accessibility, but definitely uh, not. But I, uh, as far as like a project that at least moves towards it, then I, I, I concur with you that yes, it does do that. Um, yeah. The- but I want to circle back around on on this idea because I, I think f- um, I want to reiterate how sometimes a comic career is held together by spit and bailing wire. And, uh, like we're, there are times where everything's efficient and like, you feel like you're doing great and you're keeping your head above water. And then there's other times where it's everything you can do just to make it to the next year of making comics. And so I want to talk about this idea about adding accessibility to comics in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Brett, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you remember Maslow's hierarchy. It's like a mid-century psychological pyramid chart that says like, you've, you've got to take care of, you know, air, food and shelter first. Um, you know, and then it moves up to, I think safety is the next one. And then you start to move into love and belonging and you move up the pyramid as you get the basic human needs done. Right. And so uh, I, uh, this is one way of describing what Brad and I were saying before about why it's hard for us to make the time for adding accessibility because on our personal Maslow's hierarchies of needs, 
month to month, we're going, how do I make the rent this month? How do I make the rent this month? Right. What am I currently doing that can, that can get that? And that's, so it's very low on the Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs. So even though you're acting creatively, you're still, the basic core of that is like, how can I make money to, to make a living? How can I make money to do what I got to do? So for me, like my shop, my site is run on Shopify, right? And that mm-hmm. directly makes me income, my Shopify site. But I can tell you right now, I have on on my to-do list about 10 things that I need to go in to fix on Shopify or my listings or things like that. These <laughs> yes. are things that these are things that directly make me money, and I have not yet had the time to do it. Like I can't get the time to do it. Similarly, I need to redesign my websites in the worst possible way because they are no longer compliant to Google's mobile first thing. Uh, they don't, they're not accessible from different phone and computer screens. They were, they were built five or six years ago. Yeah. So they're, they're not up to date on HTML. Uh, so that's terrible. And then there's things, all sorts of things that are breaking either in my archives. And so on any given time, there's something I need to fix, basically. And it's, right. and it's just me and Beth trying to keep it. It's like two little buckets of water trying to throw it out of the boat, right? And so... It sounds like it's no big deal to say, well, all you have to do is write up some alt text. That would make it more accessible. And they're right. That's, that, that could conceivably make it. But then the question is, I have to now redesign my site for a place to put that alt text <laughs> that it doesn't currently have. And I still haven't had the time to redesign the site in general. So like, it's, it's this catch-22 of like, yeah, it's a great idea and I would love to do it. And it makes me sound perhaps cold to think like I can't do it right away. But it's, it's harder than you think to incorporate something like this into a workflow when you're already behind the eight ball on catching up on all the things you need to do for your business, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, and the, the harsh truth is, is that you've got to have priorities and you've got to direct your time towards the things that are going to have the best return on investment of that time. Yeah. And that sounds Machiavellian, but it's, it's more, how do you survive? No, it's, it's strict survival. Listen, if you, if you don't make decisions based on that kind of criteria, you're going to be, uh, in a, behind the eight ball very, very quickly. Well, I wonder if if one of the reasons why I never saw any of this software come to fruition was because it never it it itself could not survive. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. It, it, because at the end of the day, also. Okay. Now here here is where I turn into a complete jerk, but I'll but I'm just being honest with you. So you you build out all that accessibility. Uh, we're in a post advertising revenue web publishing system. You've increased accessibility so that you can deliver that comic to a wider group. In what way do you get a a return on that investment uh, in any way, shape, or form? They're not going to buy a book, most likely, because they're visually impaired. They're not going to deliver ad revenue. They're most likely not going to become a Patreon backer. Uh, they're not going to support well, no, a Kickstarter. That, that one I would. That one I would disagree with you. I think they would. Uh, there's a high possibility they could come and pay, Maybe. especially if you built that out. Maybe. May. I. I'd, I'd give you a fifty-fifty shot on that. Okay. Uh, because you know, well, human human nature way, being the way it is, more than likely they're going to say thank you very much for the free comic and go back to doing what they were well, doing before. Uh, yeah. So let, let me put it this way. I'll rephrase what Brad just said. I would say there's a, there is a mathematical percentage that will become. Uh, Patreon backers, but it's like this. For every 10,000 of my Sheldon readers, one becomes a Patreon backer. For every right. 10,000 of my Drive readers, one becomes a Patreon backer. So you would need 10,000 visually impaired or blind people to be like, one would become a Patreon backer. You know, That's that's exactly the point I'm driving at. And as a result, uh, it's, it's just not going to be worth the amount of effort and time that you're going to put into it. Uh, it right. And that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it is. 
And that's and this this sounds cold and it is, but this is where mass media did better because mm-hmm. TV, when it was centralized and making hundreds of millions of dollars, the networks could be forced to say by the federal government, listen, as a as a trade-off for the public airwaves that you're being given, you have to provide uh audio text or or voiceover services that people can tap into through third party technology you know what mm-hmm. i mean so yep. the networks had to produce that because they were being given federal airwaves but it's really hard to ask a small web cartoonist in i don't know des moines to be like no you've got to provide all this you know and but the problem is there is that if none of us do it well then a whole big percentage of the population either the visually impaired or the blind are not getting to experience comics. And, and I don't know what the answer is there. You know what I mean? Because there's no, I mean, I guess you could ask go comics to create it or Webtoons or tapas, but I highly doubt that any of those three companies are going to do it. Um, just being speaking honestly. Right. Uh, but they would be the best candidates. Don't you think Brad as a platform to say, here is what we are going to do. Uh, perhaps I, but, but again, each of the places that you mentioned, uh, it's not a, it's not a clean conversion because they don't really own any of the content that they're putting up for the most part. It's all, everything that you just mentioned are aggregator sites. Tapas, yeah, no, uh, I'm just saying like if they provided a tool that artists or readers could then add in transcripts or alt text, you know what I mean? Perhaps, that kind of thing. perhaps yeah, it, would, just, it would be, a, it would definitely be a step in the right direction. Right. But it's hard for me who a doesn't know his, uh, his way around programming Yeah, to then go out and hire someone to say, Hey, can you figure out a way to include uh, my alt text so that uh, accessibility readers could bring it into their own software on the computer, uh, which is something I honestly know nothing about. Um, so it just, it's a, it's a, it's a bigger hurdle than you think it is for an independent cartoonist to suddenly include, um, and again, uh, this goes back to the basic thing is like, how hard is it to type out all text? Well, individually, it's not that hard, but I have no way on my, on my website currently to display that. Um, right. And I don't, I'm, I, it, it would require some form of website redesign to make that happen. So even at the most basic level, it's still an ask, you know, and mm-hmm. it's hard for me when I have a to-do list that's a mile long and I'm behind it. <laughs> but it's funny wrong. because like, I can't, I can't exit this conversation without feeling like we're terrible human beings, but I don't know what the other answer is. Cause that's the realistic answer, you know? Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm saying, I, I I don't have the guilt that you do, I, that you do. I guess this is a pragmatic issue for me, uh, and I, it, it, it's one of many issues that I say I'd love to be able to do that. And I can see the value in it. I just can't. Yeah, and and it's okay to say that. It's it's okay. We we can't save the world, and, and we can't take on things that would uh, that would harm our business overall if we got distracted by. Uh, that don't have a strong return on investment, and it and I don't think that you need to feel guilty about that. Those are it's one of many decisions oh, Brad, that we have to Brad, make every week. Brad, come on now. I grew up in a Catholic household. I'm going to feel guilty about this no matter what way you swing this. <laughs> that's true. I'm going to find true. a way to feel guilty about this no matter how this goes. <laughs> well, let me let me see if I can find another topic for you to guilt uh, over. Uh, we've got another question brought to us by Jonathan Small who says, I see that you route all of your social media to patreon.com slash comic lab, which makes sense for trying to maximize Patreon income. But number one, do you host your podcast somewhere else and just never refer to it? Or do you somehow host on Patreon itself? And number two, 
where will your podcast be if you decide to leave Patreon for some other monetizer, or do you just not worry about that? Dave, uh, this Jonathan wants to know why we do what we do on social media when it comes to Comic Lab and hosting. Uh, What's your answer for him? Well, okay, so there's there's a couple different uh, uh, answers to this, Jonathan. Uh, The big one being that the reason why we do our primary push, or at least I do, uh, Mm -hmm. towards Patreon is that that's where the the rubber hits the road. Um, That's where people listening can directly translate into future shows being made. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you become a Patreon backer, that literally pays for the editor to edit next week's show uh, and and pays for the the hosting on Simplecast and pays all that sort of stuff. And then the follow-up answer is we also have the show permanently hosted. It's on Simplecast. I think the URL, Brad, is comiclabpodcast.com. Is that right? That's correct. That is absolutely correct. So, uh, and and from, from that website, actually, and I don't know that we've ever talked about this at length, but you can actually make little snippets of the show that are favorites for you to either export uh, to, as your own audio file, or you can share them on social media, all that sort of stuff. Simplecast mm-hmm. does a nice job of, of making that possible. It's called the Recast Generator. That's right, Recast Generator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do wish that Simplecast could push it onto YouTube, which is what Libsyn used to be able to do. We we originally used Libsyn for the first six months. Yeah. Um, but Simplecast is apparently working on that, so that's a possibility. But for right now, all the archives do live on that comiclabpodcast.com website. Uh, and of course, they're already in your RSS feeder if you've subscribed to us on any uh, feed through your podcast app. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brad, you take a swing at this now. Why do, we, why do we push Patreon over the other ones? This is, it's, a, it's a great question, and it goes down to understanding how, uh, how podcasts work. It, it goes down to understanding your medium, really. Uh, because we uh, we do promote this very differently than we would promote a webcomic because podcasting is a different creature and and we fine-tune our approach for it. So first of all, uh, we do use uh, patreon.com slash comic lab more often than we do anything else, although we do mention the other ones uh, at appropriate times. But what you also see in almost all of our outreach is uh, the phrase available wherever you get your podcast. Because right, right. podcasting is very, it, it, the, the idea of publishing a podcast is a very different thing. People don't go to the website to, to get the podcast. For the most part, people, and, our, and by the way, our analytics bear this out 110%, uh, people go to their podcast app to uh, consume their podcast. So they're going to go to the uh, to the Apple Podcasts app. They're going to go to the Google Podcast app, so on and so forth down the line to the lower lo- ones like uh, Breaker and so on and so forth. Uh, they don't go to the website. There's, In other words, it would be a little bit useless to point them to the website because very few people use the website to get their podcasts. If you want somebody to listen to your podcast, in other words, you don't send them to your website. You tell them Comic Lab is available wherever you get your podcasts. One sentence. And that covers a multitude of different people who are using a multitude of different ways to get their podcasts. And Comic Lab is available on just about every one of them. Uh, so they go in, they, they, they uh, put Comic Lab in, uh, they search it, find it, boom, it's there. Sending them to a uh, to to the URL is not as effective. 
uh, as simply yeah. saying, wherever you get your podcast, you'll find Comic Lab. Uh, so Brad, here's an imperfect metaphor. Yeah. You are, you are in the Brad Geiger kitchen, you're cooking dinner. And then all of a sudden you realized, oh, dang it. I don't have potatoes. Right. And you go, Dave, I got to run to the supermarket real quick to pick up potatoes. And I go, Brad, let me send you to their website. And you're like, no, no, no. I, I need to physically go to the, the supermarket. No, no, Brad, Brad, I'm going to send you to their website. No, no, Dave, it's not, I can't get it tomorrow. I need to go get it right now. And so putting, directing people towards the website is a little bit like that. You need to go where people live for podcasts and where yeah. they live is on their apps or on iTunes or on Google podcasts or yeah. on uh, Pocket Cast or Simple Cast or any of those apps that, that pull their apps in. Um, most people listen to their podcast in a passive way in the sense that once they have subscribed, it now pushes onto their apps. Mm -hmm. And so sending them to comiclabpodcast.com is great. They can, they can find out how to plug it into their, their own individual apps. But for the most part, they're going to search on whatever directory their app or their source uh, creates mm -hmm. and populates, and then they're going to just add it to their feed. Don't you think, Brad? No, you're absolutely right. And, and, and it, it, the first thing we're going to get uh, uh, as a comment on this is, uh, well, I went to the website or I go to websites. Uh, I do this. I do that. That's great. You're a special person. But And we've been doing this for a long time now. Uh, the analytics bear it out. Uh, most of our traffic is coming through these other sources. So uh, the, the, the long story short is uh, we promote pa Patreon because that's where we get, we're able to monetize this. That's, that's where nine tenths of our community building is happening. Uh, that's where we direct people to the discord server, uh, where the, the rest of our community building is happening. Uh, that's, that's where the game is. Of course, yeah. we're still hosting it elsewhere. Of course, it's still available elsewhere, but our push when we're talking about it and social media is always going to point them either available where you get your podcasts or patreon.com slash comic lab. Well, and I'm going to bring this back around to the accessibility talk because it has to do with Brad's talk about priorities. And this will relate to your own cartooning, however you share it, which is yeah. you better make sure however you're sharing your comics that you have a way, a, pri a highly prioritized way for readers to go, oh, I know how to support them. Right. So. I love this comic. Now I know how to buy a book. I love this comic. Now I know how to support them on Patreon. I love this comic. Now I know they have a Kickstarter going on. Like if you put the priority way down low of like, oh, I have a book for sale. Or, oh, hey, I, I have a Patreon. Like you, right. you literally, you have to scream it from the rooftop so that a thousand of you are listening to Comic Lab and one of you will be kind enough to step up and see the value in supporting at patreon.com slash comic lab, right? Right. So you have to say it that way so that of the thousand listening, one goes, you know what? I do find enough value in this show to support it. And I do like all the things they offer in addition to the show when I join on Patreon. So yes, I will sign up. But if you're like, hey, by the way, we have a Patreon and it's really <laughs> special and you should join it. Then like that, that pushes the priority of, of surviving for another day too far down, you know? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And that's, and that's the name of the game. Uh, it, unfortunately, is you've got you've to know your priorities it, it, because otherwise you're going to start running in circles <laughs> because you're going to be chasing this fire and that fire and, and, and trying to catch up and, and, and you never get ahead that way. Uh, the, way you, the way you publish successfully as an independent is like Jake Parker used to say, right? Uh, he gets up in the morning and he says, I, I, there's one thing that I've got to get done today. 
and everything else comes after that. And that's all about setting priorities. You know what you got to do. Everything else is after that. And does it a little bit bum everybody involved out, or, or does it a little bit bum out everybody involved that we're we're living in a late stage capitalism and we have to do that? Yeah, a little bit. Yep. But you know what? There are infinitely worse fates, and so having to to chase that tiger of making a living all the time, uh, there are worse things to have to be done. L- thank God we're living in an age where an artist can be making a living by doing that. You know, right. I can I can think of a, a billion ways that a cartoonist in the fifties uh, would have killed for this kind of a system. So um, <laughs> that's the truth. You know. So uh, you can rail against the world you live in so much, or, or sometimes you can just find a way to make it work for you. And um, uh, so that's why this is a long walk from that, that question about podcasts. But I think Brad and I basically are saying that uh, being able to promote and push the Patreon for Comic Lab fits 80% of what we need to communicate uh, at any given time. And so that's the one we push. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. We we push it like there's uh like like there's a person stuck in the middle of the tube and we're the next one down. Yeah, we're behind Andre the Giant. <laughs> That's All right, right, Brad. I've got one last question for you and we'll we'll close off the day for this. So okay. this comes from Jeremy and it's uh Brad Geiger, for your books, for your inside paperweight, do you use 70 pound text or 85 pound text? Folks on the Comic Lab Discord said 70 pounds should be good, but I got some samples and they were all 85 pounds and seemed quite nice. Not sure if it's just an upsell or if you find one better than the other. So Brad Geiger, what is your answer to that one? Uh, that, well, okay. So the thing that you're doing right is that you're getting samples from your printer because that's that's really uh, the, the main event right there. You want to hold it in your hands. You want to see how it looks. You want to make sure that uh, you don't go so thin with your paper that the image from one side bleeds through to the other side. Uh, you, you, you want to try to avoid stuff like that going a little heavier and, uh, and, and knowing your preferences also for coded versus uncoded stock. Some people, uh, uh, Corey Cassoni uh, loves uncoded stock. Uh, in the books that he uh, prints uh, for Scott over at PVP. Uh, me, I like coated stock. I like glossy paper. I think, uh, I think the shiny art is better. Uh, but knowing your preferences, knowing what you want to put across is very important, uh, much more important than asking somebody who doesn't know anything about your project what they think that your paperweight should be. Uh, so good on you for getting paper so- uh, samples. Now, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just, so you have a frame of reference. I'll tell you that the, uh, the evil ink books that I've uh, been publishing over the last couple of years, uh, I don't, my, my printer doesn't use, uh, pounds. They use GSM and, uh, my books, I, I just looked at my, uh, quote and my inside pages are 150 GSM and I, I Googled it, and uh, from what I can see, uh, in terms of coded stock, that's the equivalent of 100-pound uh, inside paper. So I go, evidently, with a little bit heavier paper yet. Uh, what do you use? To, oh, and I, I can tell you, my, the, I love it. I like having a nice, heavy paper on the inside there. What do you use, Dave? Well, uh, before I tell you that, uh, and I'm happy to share what I use, but I will say this. If you have a paper or or a book that you feel like it's going to feel insubstantial, Mm -hmm. it is very cost effective to invest in a heavier paper, a thicker paper, so that the book feels and looks thicker and heavier. 
right? Yes. So um, you can, obviously, if you have a 400-page book or a book like Bone, or for example, when they're printing a Bible, have you ever noticed how it's like the thinnest, wafer-thin paper yeah. uh, for a Bible? It's it's like uh, almost rice paper. It's so thin. Um it's because they've got a billion pages to have to include in the, into that binding, right? Mm-hmm. But when you have a book that's like 80 pages, 100 pages, maybe even 120 pages, you can make it look and feel more substantial so that when someone picks up the book, they go, oh, this is a good value um, by using a heavier, thicker stock, right? Right. So like Brad, my printer has moved to a, a worldwide meter um, standard, which for God's sakes, America, get it together. Why are we still on the English system? Why? I, listen, I know why. It's because we're all stubborn fools, but we've got to catch up on meet, on metric. Um, anyway, so um, I use 128 GSM matte art paper for my interior. Uh, unlike Brad, I don't necessarily like glossy paper on the interior of a book. In mm-hmm. fact, even when I have to use glossy for like color, I try to ask them for the most matte finish, the least glossy finish that I can get on a book. Yeah. Um, uh, because I feel like glossy feels like um, a heavy gloss, and I don't even think Brad has this either, but a really heavy gloss feels like what somebody in the 1970s would have thought was amazing technology for a book, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're and Brad, not you have, you have a matte gloss too, I think, don't you? You I don't believe use I do. a heavy gloss. Not a heavy yeah, yeah, gloss. Yeah. No, it's not super yeah, yeah, yeah. shiny, but it's enough It's enough so that my pages, uh, uh, the, the, the colors, I think, uh, bounce a lot better off of that page than they would uh, without it. And by the way, when you add a gloss to a page, whether it's a matte or a, a gloss or a high gloss, um, that also adds weight and thickness to the page too. So mm-hmm. um, that's another thing to note. Anyway, so I uh, for for Sheldon books and Drive books lately, or for Sheldon books, it's been four four color, which means four on one side, four colors on the other side, mm-hmm. on a one twenty eight GSM matte art paper, and then for my covers, for my soft covers. Uh, I've been using a three hundred GSM coated one side artboard. Um, and I've found that I really like that. It, you can either do French flaps with it or keep it without flaps. Uh, it produces a really nice cover. It feels solid. It feels hefty. Um, and so that's what I've used. And then for drive, uh, I think I use 128 GSM, uh, wood free paper, I believe so that because it's printed one color without gloss, I think it's wood free. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, you get the basic idea. I'm at one one twenty eight GSM. Brad's at one fifty GSM, which I think is smart. Um, and then for the cover, I'm at three hundred GSM. Brad, what were you, did you say you were at for my your cover? soft covers are exactly the same three hundred uh, GSM. Yeah, and frankly, going too much higher, I wouldn't recommend on a soft cover because you don't want the stiff soft cover. Right. You want that to have a little give to it. Yeah, there's a there's a feeling that you want it to be substantive enough, but you don't want it to be so stiff. That it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable to read. So you do. I, I wouldn't recommend going too much higher if you're going to go higher than 300 GSM because you start to feel like an overly starched dress shirt at a wedding. You mm-hmm. know, and and it just makes a, it, it. In my opinion, it's putting a lot more stress on the spine when that uh, when that cover is too stiff. Uh, you want that you want that cover to bend a little bit while you're opening the book so it doesn't put all of the force uh, of that action on the spine. Boy, that's a great point, Brad. You want it to bend like a reed. You don't want it to break like yes. a tree. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. 
Well, that was a that was a quick answer to a, a simple question. That's that's a nice way. If, if only they could all be that simple, uh, <laughs> then I could walk away from the show guilt free. That's um, right. That's right. You that, that we finally got to a question that you could answer guilt free, except you know for that whole thing where you use, you're using wood free paper and uh, and you know probably putting a lot of uh, wood wood farmers out uh, out of business. Brad, don't do it. I don't think you realize how strong the guilt lies within me. <laughs> I don't think you realize, Bradley. I'm I'm gonna go to sleep tonight a little bit troubled, and oh, it's all because of you. So oh, thanks, Brad. No. Well, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 speaking on behalf of of lumberjacks everywhere, I'd like to say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my friend Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. Comic Lab is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So we're going to say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. <laughs> he's a lumberjack and he's okay. He, <laughs> he sleeps all night and he works all day. <laughs> <laughs> I cut down trees. I eat my lunch. I go to the lavatory. On Wednesdays I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. <laughs> you did that great with a British accent and everything. <laughs> <laughs>